Today on the Matt Wall Show, as the backlash against the child sexualizing cuties movie on Netflix grows, it's important for us to take a step back and understand that the movie fits into a larger and diabolical trend in our culture, which we'll talk about today. Also, five headlines, including an interesting um, expose on the privileged lives of some of the rioters arrested in New York. And in our daily cancellation, I'll address the media outrage about fans in Kansas City last night who allegedly booed racial unity. That's not really what they were doing, but we'll talk about that today. All of that on the way. First, a word from Policy Genius. You know, something we don't always think about, but we should. We don't like to think about it because the fact is uh, we aren't going to be around forever and anything can happen. And that's why I have life insurance. It's about protecting my family in light of the unknown and the inevitable. That's the way that I look at it. September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. But with everything going on right now, a lot of people aren't even aware that it's possible to buy life insurance at all. The good news is that it's still easy to shop for life insurance right now. It's as easy as it's, as it's ever been because of Policy Genius. And if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. Here's the main thing. Here's the main thing to keep in mind. Right now, you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, those savings really start to add up. What is Policy Genius? Well, it's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. Let's quickly uh, talk about how it works, okay? Very, very, very simple steps. Step one, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Step two, you apply for your lowest price. And then step three, the Policy Genius team will take it from there, handle all the paperwork, all of the red tape. So really, it's two steps for you, and then everything else is Policy Genius. Uh, super easy, very painless. That's been my experience with uh, Policy Genius, and uh, you don't, you know, you don't have to know what the hell you're doing in order to use Policy Genius, which is good for me because I never do know what the hell I'm doing. So, um, if you need life insurance, head to PolicyGenius.com right now to get started. You could save fifteen hundred dollars or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Okay. Well, you know, before the coronavirus lockdowns forced a temporary hiatus from these sorts of activities, libraries across the country on any given night might have featured cross-dressing men with sexually suggestive stage names reading stories to large crowds of visibly confused children. A scene such as this could be found in both red and blue states, big cities and small towns, sometimes against the objections of a minority of residents, sometimes with near-unanimous approval. If the Drag Queen Story Hour was held in a more radically liberal area, it may have come with a warm-up act like a striptease by the uh, by the drag queen, or there may have been an opportunity for the children to lay on top of the drag queen and wrestle with him. These are both documented occurrences at Drag Queen Story Hours. If the event was held in Houston, the drag queen may have also been a registered sex offender. Shock of all shocks. Now, these sorts of spectacles are so common these days that they become old news. Some people still protest, thankfully, but Drag Queen Story Hour is officially a thing in our culture, and it's here to stay. Of course, nobody's ever been able to sufficiently explain why it needs to be a thing. Why exactly do we need cross-dressing burlesque performers at the library? Why can't the librarian come and read like a Dr. Seuss book to the kids, as had been the custom for decades before we decided that the job would be better done by men dressed like satanic sexualized nuns? Um, if we are given any coherent answer at all to this question, it'll be some pablum about tolerance, acceptance, and so forth. But the real answer, the one they won't say out loud, 
is that the left has found public libraries to be yet another useful staging ground for the sexual indoctrination of children. There are many such staging grounds. Public schools have proven, of course, to be especially fertile soil for this. Comprehensive sex education in schools all over the country and in Europe goes far beyond teaching the scientific facts of human sexuality. Children are told not just what sex is, but given advice on how and when and in what way to engage in it. A sex ed curriculum recently unveiled in California, for example, gives students tips on how to perform oral sex bondage. The World Health, the World Health Organization has issued its own guidance on approaching sex ed, recommending that children as young as four, as young as four, be given information about, and I quote, enjoyment and pleasure when touching one's own body. A sex ed program called Teen Talk, which originated in Canada, but has been since adopted uh, in, in some places in the U.S., advises kids that, among other things, quoting now from their website, anal sex is safe and can be done with a penis, finger, or sex toy. It also goes into issues or you know, of, of so-called gender identity, claiming that some people are, quote, beyond male or female, or maybe a combination of both male and female. Speaking of which, the radical gender ideology being pushed on our kids through media, Hollywood, government, in schools, etc., represents perhaps the most insidious and damaging form of sexual uh, childhood sexualization. We are now told that children, before they're old enough to enter kindergarten, are mentally and emotionally competent enough to choose their own gender. By 9 or 10, if not earlier, we're told that they can meaningfully consent to taking hormone pills that will radically alter their body's normal processes. In some cases, minors are allowed to consent to permanent surgical mutilation, breast removal, and other abominations. This clearly has the effect of sexualizing children as it normalizes the idea that kids are emotionally and psychologically capable of giving consent. As I have argued many times, the whole entire basis for our laws against sexual contact between adults and children is that children cannot consent to such contact. And thus, if the contact is made, it is always equal to assault no matter what the child says about it. As the left pushes for gender changes among children, they also undermine the fundamental basis for age of consent laws. And there is no reason to think that they don't know what they're doing when they do that. Now, we could go on for many more examples of the sexualization of children and the normalization of pedophilia in our culture. We could talk about 11-year-old drag queens performing at gay clubs. We could talk about uh, the fact that children on average are exposed to hardcore pornography at the age of 10 or 11, if not younger. Um, and that sites like Pornhub explicitly market to minors and make millions of dollars doing so. We could talk simply about the music and movies and shows and, and everything else that are produced on a mainstream level and marketed to young audiences that are hypersexual. This is all part of the same effort. And this is all the context into which the Netflix movie Cuties fits. We discussed it yesterday. I'm not going to get into the graphic details again about the, the movie. I'm sure you've heard it all by now. Uh, you've heard more than you probably want to hear. But the point I want to emphasize today is that we shouldn't be shocked that the movie exists and that it's being defended so desperately. Speaking of desperate defenses, here's perhaps the most absurd one that I've yet seen this is from Aja Romano, a Vox film critic, so you know it's going to be good. Aja says, incidentally, I'm a critic who highly recommends Netflix's Cuties. It's a wonderful, poignant, challenging, and nuanced coming-of-age tale, smartly crafted by a wonderful director. The controversy surrounding it seems to be propaganda fueled by QAnon types and anti-Semites. I also feel like 
You couldn't have picked a better film to frame such a controversy around. I'm frankly delighted by a bunch of bigots settling in with pitchforks to flame the pedophile movie and discovering this lovely, subtle story about girls battling fraught gender roles. Yes, objecting to a film that shows scantily clad 11-year-old Muslims simulating sex acts is anti-Semitism? Yes, it appears that Asia reached into the grab bag of isms and pulled one out randomly, which you can't blame her, I suppose. There's no coherent way to make an argument that people who don't approve of movies about twerking children are bigots. So that leaves you only with incoherent arguments like this one. Or you could simply admit that the movie is highly inappropriate and offensive because that is self-evidently the case. But Aja can't do that. Many in the media can't do that. Netflix could do it. Netflix issued another statement yesterday, yet again defending the film. Uh, This is a statement from Netflix saying, uh, quote, Cuties is a social commentary against against the sexualization of young children. It's an award-winning film and powerful story about the pressure young girls face on social media and from society more generally growing up. Uh, And we'd encourage anyone who cares about these important issues to watch the movie. You know, that would be great if it were true. A commentary on the sexualization of young children would be very worthwhile and important. But Netflix can't explain why that commentary would include crotch shots of 11-year-olds. They can't explain why the commentary about the bad thing must must actually exhibit the bad thing. The director of the film has never been able to explain that either. In fact, she did an interview with The Wrap at Sundance back in the early part of the year, way before there was this controversy. And in that interview, while explaining her motivation for making the movie, she never really says that the movie is a critique of childhood sexualization. The interviewer leads her there. The interviewer herself says that she thought the movie was critical of the hypersexualization of Western culture. But here's what the director had to say um, in her own words about why she made the movie. The question is, uh, should we um, have the right to choose which women we can uh, be in uh, this uh, world? Um, in our culture, um, you know, even today, me, <laughs> I can say I'm not totally free because I love to, sh- to wear um, short dresses and at the same time, sometimes when, when I go to the uh, religious ceremony, I, I wear the veil as well. So just shoes as a woman, which, uh, who, who do you want to, to be? Okay, so according to her, she was exploring a woman's struggle to be free and to make choices for herself. Uh, though the characters in the film are not women, they are children. Nonetheless, the theme as she explains it there, back when she was getting only accolades for the movie because only degenerate film critics had seen it, the theme as she explained it uh, was kind of different than what we're being told now. And I think that gets much closer to the real motivation behind the making of the movie. And it gets to the heart of the motivation for the sexualization of children in general in our culture. For the left, for the left, the highest good is to, be, is to enable people to make unfettered choices. Choices specifically in the realm of sexuality and gender. They aren't as much fans of choices in other areas of life, of course. But in the realm of sexuality and gender, people must be able to make choices without regard to any boundaries at all. Even biological and scientific boundaries must be discarded. Moral boundaries must be discarded. Certainly religious boundaries must be torn down. Um, 
that's what the movie seems to really be about. That's what the sexualization of children in our culture is largely about. The goal is to destroy moral boundaries and to view people as primarily sexual beings, regardless of age or anything else. The point always and ultimately is about the denial of objective truth and objective morality and the establishment of a society where everything is relative. And, and, and what is good, what is most good, is for people to simply do what they want in the moment. And this Netflix movie is just one more salvo in that war. But it's a war that is ongoing and has been going on for a long time and will continue uh, even after this controversy fades. Let's get to our five headlines. You know, when you get on the internet, uh, you, you leave yourself wide open to the bad guys who are out there. Not to be paranoid, but there are a lot of bad guys out there on the internet who want to steal your information. How much do you think your personal information is worth to cyber criminals? Well, researchers have compiled an overview of the average price of stolen uh, personal data for sale on the dark web. And while online banking logins cost an average of 35 bucks, the range of documents and account details needed to commit identity theft cost, you know, over $1,200. So that's a lot of money they stand to make by stealing your information and, and selling it on the dark web. Um, and, it, you know, and then it becomes even more fraught when you consider kids on the internet and all the ways that they are vulnerable and exposed. Uh, and that's why it's so important to get LifeLock. And it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit um, because you're not, you're not looking at what's going on on the dark web. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, um, stuff that you wouldn't be able to find on yourself. And if they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they're going to send you an alert and they're not going to leave you in the lurch. They're going to have identity theft restoration specialists who are there to help you get it all sorted out. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions on all businesses, but you can find out if your information is on is on the dark web. Get your free dark web scan at lifelock.com scan. Pick the plan that's right for you and save up to 25% off your first year with promo code Walsh. That's a free scan at lifelock.com scan and 25% off with promo code Walsh. All right, number one today, of course, is the 19th anniversary of 9-11, a good time to pray for our country. There's never a bad time, never a bad day or bad time, but today in, in particular is good for that. Um, I don't have much commentary to offer on 9-11, 19 years out, except to wonder aloud, to ask the same question, uh, I guess, that so many people ask as these anniversaries roll around, and that is, if there was another 9-11, I mean, a real another 9-11. You know, th things are always claimed to be the next 9-11 or the new 9-11 or another 9-11. But I'm talking about something that, that, that really matches that in terms of the magnitude and something that uh, weighs on the national consciousness in the same way, to the same extent. If that happened again, when it happens again, would we be capable as a nation of unifying even briefly in the face of it, as everyone always, those of us who lived through it, um, I was, uh, I don't know, 13 or 14, I think, when 9-11 happened. And um, those of us who lived through it, we talk all the time about how the, the nation seemed unified in the direct aftermath of, of the, the terrorist attack. I think, I think we probably overstate just how unified, we probably, in our minds, emotionally overstate and exaggerate it, um, especially those of us who were kids when it happened, you know. But there's no question that there was a, a real sense of unity. It didn't last for very long, but it was there. And I, you, you wonder, could, could we, if there was a 9-11 like tomorrow, would there be even one day of everybody on the same side? Or would it be 
boom, immediately we're politicizing it, blaming each other, pointing fingers and everything. That's the question. I'm not going to get much into my answer because my answer is very depressing. Uh, my answer is basically no, but let's not harp on that today. Let's move on. Number two, Biden spokesman T.J. Ducklow, who perhaps more than anyone else in politics looks like his name, appeared on Fox yesterday and became very evasive and seemingly flummoxed over extremely basic questions about the candidate and his positions. Uh, listen to this. Has Joe Biden ever used a teleprompter during local interviews or to answer Q&A with supporters? Brett, we are not going to engage. This is this is straight from the Trump campaign. But yeah, they're points. using and, it. And what it does and what it does, Brett, is it's trying to distract the American people. I'm just from, they're from, using from it. They the talk pandemic. about it every day. Can you well, say yes or no? That's because they talk about it every day, Brett, because they don't have a coherent. Uh, well, you strategy. have an answer. Yes or no, Brett. They talk about it every day because they don't have a coherent argument for why Donald Trump deserves re-election, deserves four more years. We know that he lied to the American people. We know that he has not uh, shown leadership during this crisis, and they are desperate to throw anything they can against the wall to try to distract from that fact. I understand, but you can't answer the question. Brett, I am not going to allow okay. the Trump campaign to funnel their questions through Fox News and get me to respond <laughs> to that. Well, TJ, we appreciate your time, and thank you for coming on. Thanks, Brett. I love the tone he takes when he's asked a very basic question. So it's like, uh, TJ, is the sun hot? Now Brett. Brett, now Brett. Brett, now Brett. Brett, that's a Republican talking point. No, I just want to know if the sun is hot. Brett, now, hey, Brett. Come on, Brett. Brett, that's a, you got to stop with the gotcha questions. But really, th this is a reflection, I think, of the fact that TJ Ducklow and Friends, um, and by the way, Ducklow and Friends should be the name of a children's show on Nick Jr., but Ducklow and Friends, they spend most of their time in the CNN, MSNBC, left-wing media orbit and are simply never asked any challenging questions at all of any kind. On the rare occasion that they get a real question, they are permitted to dodge it with one little move, and then, and then the interviewer is going to move on. He's not going to press the issue. Uh, and so they're simply unprepared for any kind of real, real questioning. And these were really, really basic uh, good questions. A, a question like, okay, what would you have actually done differently? You can criticize Trump's response to the coronavirus. What would you have actually done that he didn't do? Doesn't want to answer that question. Number three, speaking of, uh, speaking of MSNBC and uh, people on there, Nancy Pelosi was on MSNBC yesterday, and here's how that went. We have these fires in California and in the West, uh, 16 people have died in Washington, Oregon and California, uh, including a firefighter and a one year old baby. Uh, we our firefighters have been so very, very courageous. Now we're again breaking records. Mother Earth is angry. She's telling us whether she's telling us with hurricanes on the Gulf Coast, fires in the West, whatever it is that the climate crisis is real and has an impact. And of course, we can assume uh, no follow up on that either. No question like, Speaker Pelosi, how long have you been a pagan? Can you tell us more about your paganism? That'd be a good question because the idea that Mother Earth is angry, <laughs> angry at us and is now creating hurricanes and fires to punish us is pure paganism. It's a perfect example of the kind of thing they can get away with saying on MSNBC without any follow-up. Mother Earth is angry at us and is creating fires. That's really what you believe? Well, this is this is pure paganism. It really is. Uh, and it goes to show that the, the 
religiosity is a real need that we have. It's ingrained in us as human beings. And so if you reject uh, Christianity, if it, as, as Nancy Pelosi has rejected her supposed Catholic faith, uh, she goes to paganism, as many Democrats have and are now essentially Mother Earth Gaia worshipers. But remember, always remember, this is the pro-science side. Yes, pro-science people who believe that men can get pregnant, women have penises, babies aren't people, and Mother Earth makes fires when she's angry at us for driving SUVs. Pure, unadulterated science. Number four, the New York Post has an interesting article looking, quote, inside the privileged lives of protesters busted for rioting in Manhattan. And here's a look at the subjects of the articles. You can see the mugshots here. Uh, a little rough, let's be honest. Not the best angle on these guys. It's a, it's a mugshot. You can't blame them. It, but, you know, if I was a privileged rioter, I would have a personal stylist with me at all times so that when I get arrested, maybe they can come in and just do a little, little touch-up, just run over, you know, fix me up a little bit. Um, I mean, your mugshot, it's a big moment. It's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Anytime somebody Googles you, that's going to pop up. So it's going to be there forever. They should really give you a chance to comb your hair, I think. Put on some makeup. Whether you're a girl or guy, no judgment here, no discrimination. That one guy there, um, uh, the, the one one over from the top on the left, he appears to have some sort of dead or perhaps hibernating um, animal, uh, some kind of woodland creature on top of his head. He should have been allowed to take that off, in my opinion. So, But anyway, here's uh, here, well, let's go to the article. Uh, it says, the so-called revolutionaries who were busted for rioting at a new African Black Panther Party rally took a break from their yacht club lives and modeling careers to be a part of the mayhem. Yes, these are members of the Black Panther Party, apparently. They certainly don't make Black Panthers the way they, they used to, is all I could say. The seven comrades, including wealthy upper state eastsider Clara Crabber, had the mugshots tweeted out by the NYPD early Wednesday, um, days after their arrests. They were cuffed during a protest organized by the Panthers and the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement, uh, groups condemning the death of Daniel Prude, who was killed while in custody um, of the Rochester Police Department in March. Aside from Crabber, the redhead daughter of an architect and child psychiatrist with a second home in Connecticut, five of the others arrested appear to also come from privileged backgrounds. Um, Frank Furmeister, oh, okay, wait. Clara Crabber and Frank Furmeister, are those are really their, are the police sure that these are their real names and not, not, uh, not fake names? That sounds like the kind of name you would just make up on the spot if the cops are asking you. What's my name? Uh, it's uh, Frank uh, Furmeister Smith. Frank Furmeister? No, Fra uh, Frank uh, Furmeister, actually. Is a, uh, Frederick Furmeister. I mean, Frank Furmeister. Uh, Furmeister. That, yeah, that's my name. Anyway, it says that Frank Furmeister, charged with uh, rioting and possession of a graffiti instrument, is a freelance art director who's designed ads for Joe Coffee and has also worked for Pepsi, Samsung, and the Glenn Levitt. He studied fine arts with a concentration in photography at Florida State College. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so you get the idea. These are all a bunch of privileged brats. No big surprise there. This really, this goes back to the point I made uh, before about these protests, that they are expressions of extreme decadence more than anything else. These are privileged, privileged, comfortable people uh, searching for a struggle, searching for a form of suffering, um, an oppression to make their lives meaningful. We just, as people, we, we it's very difficult for us to simply be comfortable and live in luxury and admit that that's our lives. You'd think it'd be easy, but it's not. 
we, we, we need to have some sort of struggle, something to overcome. And I think there are so many people in our country who live lives of such unending comfort. And all of us, in fact, every single one of us, no matter what our socioeconomic situation is, we all are, or almost all of us, are absurdly comfortable in comparison to almost everyone else who has ever lived on planet Earth. Uh, that's just a reflection of, of modern society. And because of that, you've got a lot of people who are desperate to you know, find meaning and some sort of struggle to invent some kind of uh, you know, boogeyman for them to fight against. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing with these riotings, the riots and the looting and Antifa and everything else. Number five, finally, in our most important story of the day, as you know, I have always been a critic of dogs. I think dogs generally take, take more than they give. They are needy, emotional high maintenance. It's like having a teenager in the home, I guess, except one that craps on the carpet and eats your couch. Um, but there are a few good dogs out there. Even I must admit, and here's one right here, watch. The beast, the police, the beast. Damn. The dog tried to attack him. The police, the police. I mean, look on the bright side. At least he wasn't facing the other direction. That would have been. Things can always be worse, I guess, is what we learned from that. But that dog right there is a dog who makes himself useful. Um, So many dogs are called good dogs though they have not earned the title. That dog, though, that's a good dog. Good dog. Well done. Well done. Thank you for your service. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, I'll be canceling all the people freaking out over the Chiefs fans last night, uh, booing the players as they had their moment of unity. So backing up here for a moment, the NFL was was back in, in action on Thursday night. Not a very interesting game. Chiefs won 34 to 20. Of course, the question was, what would happen before the game? You know, how far would the NFL go in the first game back to alienate the fan base even further? I thought at the very least, they might randomly select a white fan from the stands and drag him onto the field to be ritualistically flogged as atonement for the myriad sins of whiteness. But shockingly, that didn't happen. Uh, There was none of that. There, There wasn't much of anything. The Texans didn't come out for the anthem at all, which, fine, I'd prefer that. I'd prefer that over the theatrics during the anthem. Just get it out of sight, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Chiefs all all stood, uh, but one player, so that wasn't too bad. But then, right before the game started, they went out onto the field, locked arms, and had a moment of unity. And the fans didn't seem to like it very much. Listen. Thank you. Now, the left and the, and the people in sports media, but I repeat myself, I suppose, have been fainting quite performatively over this. They booed a moment of unity. Why, I never. Um, that's how I imagine them when they're tweeting, do, doing this with their hands. How dare, these, uh, you know, how dare these fans boo racial unity? They must be a bunch of racists. How could they? A headline on the, the leftist news site Raw Story called the fans classless trash. John Fugelsang said, 
America's racist, always booing at demonstrations against the racism, never booing at actual racism. Sports writer Michael Lee was, uh, was, was very upset. He said, my hometown's got no love for unity. They're booing unity now. Charlotte Clymer of the extremist group, the Human Rights Campaign, said, who's surprised by these fans who are booing? It was never about the national anthem. It was never about respect for the flag. It was always about sheer discomfort over any personal accountability a fan might be motivated to consider regarding their role in systemic racism. Another media person, Cameron Justice, said, booing equality is pretty telling. And on and on and on. Now, all of this, of course, misses the point on purpose. Despite the pretensions of the left, nobody is against unity or justice or equality. The left likes to pretend that it's waging a war against cartoon villains who are, in principle, actually opposed to, you know, things like justice, as if we're saying, yeah, you know, we're not big fans of justice. Just, uh, it doesn't do much for us. We're, we're, we're sort of anti-justice. We're, we're big fans of injustice, actually. We're injustice. That's more our speed. No, that, that's not a position that anybody holds. Even people who actually do favor injustice, like the people who defend rioters and looters as they burn down city blocks, those are people who favor injustice, but they don't see themselves that way, and they would never be that explicit about it. In fact, they feel the need to claim that rioting and looting is justice, and to defend it on that basis, that's how humans work. It's called rationalizing. So, why were people booing? Well, the reason people booed the moment of unity is that we have come to understand what is really meant in our culture by unity. It's just like when someone starts talking about being anti-racist. I'd boo that too. Is that because I'm pro-racist? No. It's because when I hear someone talk about being anti-racist, I know that they don't really mean anti-racist. I know that anti-racism is a euphemism, and a lot, of, a lot of actual racism is promoted and justified under the guise of being anti-racist. So yes, I boo you when you say it because I know what you really mean, and you know what you really mean. So let's stop pretending we don't understand each other. This is the way the game is always played, though, with the left. They do the same thing with Black Lives Matter. If somebody opposes Black Lives Matter, they say, oh, you, you don't think Black Lives Matter, huh? No, I do think Black Lives Matter. Everybody thinks that. Nearly everyone in the country agrees on that point. Near unanimous agreement. But you keep saying it anyway. Why is that? Because behind that slogan is a whole bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with, with black people at all. And all I need to do is check out the Black Lives Matter website, look at their professional beliefs, uh, their, their agenda as they lay it out themselves to confirm that this has nothing to do with black people at all. And there are dozens of examples of this. Pro-choice. Oh, you don't believe in choice, do you? No, I do. I think freedom of choice is good. But I also think that killing innocent people is bad. And when you talk about choice, I know that's what you actually mean. And so that's why I boo your pro-choice slogans, because I know that they are really pro-murder. So going back to the racial unity bit, I believe in racial unity. I would love to have racial unity. I would love to have all kinds of unity in this country. But is that really what you want on the left? Is that what you mean when you talk about it? Do you mean that we will all be unified on an equal playing field and that we'll, we will live our lives and treat each other as human beings without segregation, without any need for anyone to apologize for their race or to profess feelings of guilt or to take a submissive or groveling stance, that the law will treat everyone the same and everybody's held to the same standard and so on? Is that what you mean? It isn't, is it? Well, then you don't really want racial unity. You want something else. And it's that something else that was booed and deserves to be booed. Now, personally, 
the players locking arms and, and uh, standing there. Doesn't bother me any, doesn't offend me. If I was in the stands, I probably wouldn't have booted. And I, I can, as far as the NFL players themselves go, I could, I could very well believe that that many of them, if not most of them, really had great intentions. And, and as far as they're concerned, they really were standing for unity. It was kind of an empty gesture, but whatever. Uh, basically harmless. Yet, um, the, the fans in the stands and so many other people, they are jaded and cynical when it comes to these kinds of gestures and statements. And for highly justified reasons. Because they see how in our culture the left takes these concepts and ideas that by definition in reality are good. The left takes them, empties them out, turns them into euphemisms that stand for things that have nothing really to do with those words at all. And that's what the booing was about. Um, So... And that's why if you're complaining about the booing, you're canceled. Okay. We'll leave it there. That's that's it for today. Um, hope you have a great weekend. Pray for our country. God bless America. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm